work, ladies. Thank you for all your work. I know that takes a lot of practice, and it's kind of hard to sit up and stand up in front of a lot of people like that, but I thank you. Thankful to God that he gave you the gift to sing and play so well and that you were willing to share it with us this morning. So thank you for that. We are, uh, I'm thankful, um, and, and I hope that you are too, that we worship a God who says there's still a chance, right? That, there's, that we worship a God who says there's still a chance for us, though we can look back on our lives and see how we have been very clearly disobedient to what he's called us to. There are times when we know what we ought to do and we just didn't do it. We failed. We've been disobedient. And so we wonder, is there, is there still a chance that maybe we know that, yeah, okay, I get it, that, that God has rescued me from my sin because I trust in Jesus. My sin is forgiven. My slate is washed clean. But we might wonder, but will he still use me? Can God actually, st- does he still want to use me for his purposes? There's still a chance for me. Or maybe we look at other people in our lives and we see how far they've strayed from God and we wonder for them. There's still a chance. We look at all the opportunities that God has given them to know Him and to worship Him and to turn from their sin, and they still haven't done it. Is there still a chance for them, we wonder? And I, as we've been going through this book of Jonah, I've just been so struck by how relevant so much of this book about a prophet who lived in the 700s B.C., how relevant it is for us where we're at today. I stated up front that my purpose, I hope that my purpose in preaching is in line with the purpose that the writer of Jonah had for the people that he originally wrote to, right? I don't want to just be sharing what I think. I want us to look at what was God's purpose in giving us the book of Jonah and first giving it to another people and now it's for us as well. And I told you right from the front that the reason that I think Jonah's written, and the reason that I want to preach this sermon, what I hope happens among us is this, that in going through the book of Jonah, we would become people who respond to God's merciful pursuit of us. We who are disobedient, we who are guilty, we who have failed, that he still pursues us, and that we would respond to his pursuit of us by being obedient to his call in our lives to then pursue others. That's what I hope happens as we go through this book. So much that's been so relevant as we've gone through it. The first week when we were looking at chapter 1, we had to wrestle with this question. God obviously has a desire that the nations would be reached with his message for his glory. We've got to ask ourselves the question, do we? Do we care? that the nations would be reached with God's message for His glory? We also had to wrestle with the question, are there ways in which, in my life, I've been disobedient? And are there ways in which my disobedience actually affects others? We had to wrestle with that. But then also hearing the really good news, that God can use our disobedience for His purposes. Our disobedience does not thwart the plan of God to use us for His glory. And then we got to praise God together that we, like Jonah, though we have been disobedient and we don't deserve God's mercy, that God 
has sent us, when we were drowning in a great sea of our own sin, God sent us a Savior to rescue us. We rejoice in that together. There's so much in this book of Jonah that's been so relevant. And then last week we we were looking at uh, the ways in which Jonah in chapter 2 seems to be taking some steps in the right direction. We weren't really sure of what's going on in his heart because if we read ahead to chapter 4, we saw that there hadn't seemed to be a lot of heart change in Jonah. And so that caused us to wrestle with the fact that while it's good for us to have maybe hopes for other people in our lives, we don't ever put our hope in other people. Our hope is in Christ alone while we have great hopes for other people. So... We're going to be this morning in Jonah chapter 3, so you can open up to your bi- in your Bible to Jonah chapter 3. Just a quick review, Jonah chapter 1, because I know there have been a lot of people that have been gone. In Jonah chapter 1, we're introduced to Jonah. Jonah is a prophet. We don't know much about him. He's a prophet in the 700s B.C. And God, most of the time when God calls a prophet, he calls his prophets to go to his own people, to go to Israel and Judah. But he does something different with Jonah. He tells Jonah, go to the evil city of Nineveh. It's a great city. The neighboring Assyrians are very intimidating to God's people. And the people in Nineveh are known for being extremely evil. But God tells Jonah, I want you to go there and share my message with them. And Jonah disobeys. He gets one ticket to not Nineveh and goes the opposite direction. But God doesn't stop his pursuit of Jonah or his pursuit of the Ninevites. God comes after Jonah through sending a storm. And in, that, in the midst of that storm, Jonah comes to realize that it's his fault uh, that the storm happened. And Jonah and the pagan sailors come up with a plan together that the way in which they're going to have their lives saved is they're going to have to throw Jonah over the edge into the sea. And actually then we see the heart change of some pagan sailors who begin to fear God as Jonah falls to the bottom of the sea. But God's still not done with Jonah, so he sends a great fish after Jonah to swallow him up. And he spends three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And in chapter 2, finally, Jonah thinks about praying. And Jonah prays from the belly of the fish in chapter 2. And his prayer is mostly a prayer of thankfulness for what God's done for him. Not much is being said yet in Jonah's prayer about what God had called him to do, or, or the people of Nineveh, he's just very thankful that God rescued him, right? And so we saw that, and, and being encouraged, of course, ourselves to be thankful for God's rescue of us who trust in Christ. So we've been introduced to this God, who in the book of Jonah is a God who relentlessly pursues the disobedient, the obviously guilty, and he pursues us with his mercy and with his grace. So Jonah's been a good book. And now we get to chapter 3 and we're wondering, okay, the last verse of chapter 2 is this, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is where we're kind of thinking, okay, Jonah gets another chance. Does he get it? Does Jonah, is he a changed man now? You would think that he probably would be. And so let's go ahead and take a look. If you're able to, would you stand? Today we're in Jonah chapter 3. It's just 10 verses. I'm going to pray and then we'll read God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace in revealing yourself to us. 
Thank you for the reminders that we have in the book of Jonah that you are a God who pursues us with mercy and grace when that's not what we deserve. God, I thank you that you're pursuing people in here this morning. You're pursuing our minds and our hearts. You're pursuing our lives. I pray that if there are people who have yet to submit to your pursuit, to to say, yes, I need your grace and mercy, that that might happen in here this morning. And for those of us that have done that, I pray that we do it again, that we would again recognize that we are desperately in need of your mercy and grace, that we don't deserve another chance, but help us to be thankful that you give us one. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Jonah chapter 3. This is the word of the Lord. Here's what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. You can be seated. Really just two sections in this passage, uh, only ten verses, and so you'll notice in your bulletin there's two points. Um, and as we've done now the last couple of weeks, and we used to do before that, we took a little break, there is an application guide on the back. Um, as well, just encourage you to not just hear God's Word read and preached for a half hour, but to be the kind of people that dig into God's Word throughout the week and let it change the way that you think and the things that you desire and the things that you do. That's what God's Word has the power to do when God's Spirit works through it. So we expect um, that He can and will do that as we submit to Him. First point is that God, the Lord God, pursues the reluctant. If you look at verses 1 to 4, none of this is very hard. This is a very easy story to understand, right? You don't have to do a lot of explaining of the story. But if you looked at Jonah chapter 3, you notice, if you did a comparison between Jonah 3 and Jonah 1, the first few verses are very, very similar, right? So in Jonah chapter 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So God had told Jonah what to do. Jonah disobeyed. God pursues Jonah with the storm, God pursues Jonah with the fish, and now God pursues Jonah again by giving him another chance where he gives him almost the exact same command. Okay, so he comes to him a second time, and here's the command from God, arise, 
go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, which is word for word what he told them in chapter 1. And then the, the last part has just changed a little bit. The message that I tell you. In chapter 1 he said, for their evil has come up before me. Okay, So Jonah is called to go to Nineveh, an evil city, and share with them the message that God gives to him. The content of the message, which we'll see in verse 4 in a little bit, is one of judgment. He's not going to give them a lot of hope. He's not going to give them a lot of promise. It's a message of judgment that Jonah preaches. Verse 3, we wonder, so is Jonah really going to do it this time? He just got a second chance. We're not that confident in Jonah anymore, but he pulls through. At least on the outside, he's doing what God said, right? So in verse 3, it says, So Jonah arose, which is the same thing as verse 3 in chapter 1, where it says, But Jonah rose, but in verse 1 it says, To flee to Tarshish. This time in chapter 3, the second chance, Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So this time, Jonah obeys. And then the author gives us a little background on Nineveh, telling us that it's a really big city. It would take you a three days journey just to get across the city. Okay, It's a large city filled with lots of evil. And Jonah, as far as we know, is the only prophet that God sends to this evil city. I don't know of any other prophet God sending to Nineveh. So this huge city, lots and lots of people, and one man sent by God to share his message with these evil people. Right? Verse 4, we learn uh, that it says, and, the people, wait, there, and Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. So Jonah gets about a third of the way through. And he's sharing the message, and notice the message is just one of judgment. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the message that he preaches. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh, it's not even a message calling them to repent, it doesn't sound like. It's not a message giving them a lot of hope in God's promise. It's just a message where he just says, you're going to be destroyed. 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the message that he gives in verse 4. We look at verses 1 to 4, and we kind of think, I think Jonah finally gets it. Good. I think he finally, I mean, he disobeyed very clearly in chapter 1. Then in chapter 2, God rescues him, and he's praying from inside the belly of a fish. And now we're thinking, yeah, in chapter 3, I think Jonah finally gets it. He's a changed man, right? But remember, fast us to, as we study this book, read through the whole book of Jonah, and especially when it's shared with kids and adults. Jonah chapter 4 often gets left out of the story. It ends with a happy ending. And the people repented and everything was good. Maybe you've watched, have you watched on YouTube that little girl telling the story of Jonah? Just type in on YouTube sometimes, cute little girl story of Jonah. And it's this cute little girl sharing the story of Jonah. Really cute how she shares it, but she totally messes up the ending of it. Totally, totally messes it up. Uh, she just makes stuff up that's not in Scripture. The ending of the story of Jonah is that Jonah's mad. I'm kind of ruining it for next week. But Jonah's mad that God did what God did. Jonah doesn't want God to be gracious, right? So, so we've we got to keep that in mind as we're reading verse three or chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, on the outside, 
Jonah is being obedient. He's like, fine, I'll go tell him that you're going to overthrow him. I'll go tell him you're going to destroy him. He's fine with that, right? So on the outside, he's being obedient. We don't know, and it seems by the time you get to chapter 4, that we don't know how much heart change has happened in Jonah. That's why I call this first one, the Lord God pursues a reluctant prophet, right? So that seems pretty clear here in verses 1 through 4. The Lord God pursues a reluctant prophet. Why, why is this story in the Bible? I have to assume that the original audience, who are the people of God, Israel and Judah, right? That they're getting this story. They're hearing the story of Jonah written out for them, inspired by the Holy Spirit. In God's word, they get the book of Jonah. Why? Well, if you think back to Israel and Judah's history, have they ever failed? they ever been disobedient? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. A number of times, over and over again, that's what you seem to find in the Old Testament, all of the ways in which Israel fails to be obedient to God. And sometimes they look like they're being obedient. On the outside, they're going through the motions, and God gets upset about that, but they're going through the motions of being obedient to God. And so they hear this story of Jonah, and I'm, and I'm hoping what, what, what they're hearing, and I think what God is hoping that they're hearing, is that the Lord God still pursues those, even those who are a little bit reluctant, who have been disobedient, and maybe now are like, okay, well, maybe I can do that. But the reluctant seems to be a good description of Israel and Judah and a good description of Jonah. And thankfully, God hasn't given up. By the time of Jonah being written, God hadn't given up on his people. And God hadn't given up on his plan to reach other people through his people. Right? All right. Application for us from this. Okay, looking at the first four verses, what's some application for us? I said at the beginning, we have this question. Is there still a chance for me? I mean, I've messed up. Look at my life. God was very clear. I know that this was right, and I didn't do it. I knew that this was wrong, and I did it anyway. That's my life. I can point to all sorts of different spots back in my life that are like that. So is there still a chance for me? Fine, I believe, I, I trust in Jesus, and I know that my sin's forgiven. But does God still want to use me? Does God still want to use me, all the times that I've failed him before, does he still want to use me? The answer that we get, at least from looking at Jonah chapter 3, is you bet. He sure does. God pursues even those who have foolishly disobeyed him and blown opportunities for ministry in the past. Listen to this. Don't believe the lie that your disobedience in the past disqualifies you from fruitful ministry in the present or the future. Don't believe the lie that your disobedience in the past disqualifies you from fruitful ministry right now and in the future. We don't want to believe that lie. It seems very clear from Jonah chapter 3 that God takes people who have been very disobedient and He can still use them for His purposes. And we need to ask ourselves, are there areas in our lives where God has called us to something and we've responded with reluctance? Like maybe maybe we're okay going through the motions on the outside, but not so much letting God change our heart on the inside. Is that going on in our life? 
the message of Jonah is so applicable to our roller coaster lives. I mean, doesn't this sound like us? Just a roller coaster of a life. Shaky faith, disobedience, and a mixture of downright disobedience and then like sometimes half-hearted external obedience. That, that just sounds like me. Maybe it sounds like you too. So will God use that? I mean, can God use a guy like that? A guy like me? A guy like you? A lady like you? A kid like you? Can God, God use that? Well, let's check out and see what it says in verses 5 through 10. Okay, look at verses 5 through 10. I love this. Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. I don't know if they were wowed by Jonah's preaching. It doesn't say anything about how they responded to Jonah. That doesn't matter. The people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. What an unexpected twist. Except for maybe now, by this point in Scripture, we should expect this kind of thing. But you'd expect Jonah, the one from among God's people, to be the one who's obedient. He's not, but the pagan sailors trust God, right? And now, Jonah is kind of like reluctantly obedient. He's going to do this. And then, who does God, who starts believing God? The Ninevites. Remember, all that we really know about them from Jonah is that their evil has come up before the Lord. If they're known for anything, they're known for being big and evil, which is pretty intimidating if you live in the area, right? And their response, they believed God. And then verses 6 to 8, word eventually gets to the king, and the king gets up from his throne. Imagine this evil king of an evil city, evil people. And he takes off his robe, puts on sackcloth, and sits in ashes and tells everybody, look at the end of verse 8. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Did he really just... Jonah's message was 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And now this king of this evil people looks at his people. He sends out a decree so that everybody hears and he says, Turn from your evil ways and the violence that is in your hands. And we can just read it like, oh, that's cool that they did it. Hopefully we get the gravity of this. If you would have been living at this time, like, really? They, really? I mean, that would be like me declaring to you, listen, there's a group of radical Muslims who are part of ISIS in a city in Syria. Somebody went and preached something to them, and now the, the, their leader turned to them all and said, turn from your evil ways and the violence that's in your hands. That's, that's kind of what's going on here. This whole city known for its evil and its destruction and violence, their leader hears this message and he tells them all, Turn from your evil ways and stop being so violent. Wow. So can God use people who are disobedient and don't have a very good resume? Uh-huh. To do incredible things? Yes, he can. Now, verse 9 is interesting. Here's how the king says it. He says, who knows? He doesn't know because the only message Jonah shared is a message of judgment, right? 
So he doesn't know for sure that God's going to do anything. If they turn from their evil ways and repent, I don't know that he's heard a message. I mean, it seems like Jonah's message was just, you're going to be judged. That's the only message that we're told, at least, in chapter 3, right? And now, so he's like, well, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. He doesn't know. He's like, well, maybe that's the kind of God that he is. He's got the power to judge and destroy us. Maybe, maybe he's the kind of God who would turn from his fierce anger when we recognize that he is God and that we're evil and violent and we want to turn from our way. Maybe, maybe he'll relent. He doesn't know, but he's guessing. And then look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. God chose his mercy again. God said he would destroy them because they're evil. They believed God. They turned from their evil ways. And God pursues them with his mercy by not destroying them. Incredible passage. I love the hope that we find in it. A couple application points from this. Number one. Jesus calls us to repent of our sin and trust in him. Now, I'm kind of taking this ahead because, listen, Jesus talks about Jonah. Did you know that Jesus talked about Jonah? Jesus talked about Jonah. Turn to Matthew chapter 12 really quick. Jesus talked about Jonah in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew's not too far from Jonah. It's the first book in the New Testament, and Jonah's towards the end of the Old Testament. If you turn to Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders, okay? And look at Jonah or Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 is where we're going to start. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Do you get the picture? Jesus is talking to scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders who knew the Old Testament Scripture really well. And they don't believe in Jesus. Right? They don't believe Jesus. But Jesus tells, and then they say, why don't you give us a sign? Jesus says, oh. I'm not going to give you, you're, asking, you're an evil and adulterous generation. God describes them the same way that he would describe Nineveh, right? You're an evil and adulterous generation. And you're seeking a sign? I'm not going to give you any sign except for the sign of Jonah. And then Jesus goes on to explain, kind of make a, uh, a corollary between Jonah being in the belly of the fish three days and Jesus is going to be in the belly, be, be buried in a tomb for three days, right? So there's the, the sign of Jonah, And then we get to verse 41. Verse 41 says, Jesus is talking to them. He says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, 
something greater than Jonah is here. That's one of those goosebump passages. You just imagine Jesus talking to these religious leaders, and they think they have it all together. They're following all the laws of Scripture, and they've even added some of their own. These guys have it all together. They're the religious leaders. And Jesus is talking to them, and he calls them an evil and adulterous generation and says that on the day of judgment, even the the men of Nineveh will rise up against them. And they will be condemned because even when Jonah, reluctant, disobedient Jonah, goes to preach to the Ninevites, and these evil Ninevites repent of their sin. And now Jesus, who is greater than Jonah, comes to people who know the Scriptures really well. He's given them all sorts of signs that accompany His teaching. And here Jesus is talking to these religious leaders and their hearts are hard. They're not repenting. Jonah's message from God to the Ninevites was short and filled with judgment and those evil Ninevites repented. Jesus' message to the religious leaders is filled with all sorts of fulfillment of the scriptures that they know so well. All sorts of signs and wonders. Very clear teaching. Yet they reject Him. They don't believe God and repent of their sin. And so when we look at that, we need to ask ourselves, are we more like the evil Ninevites or the religious leaders? And probably most of us would have to say, well, we probably, I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not pagans, not worshiping God, the God of the Bible, we're not, we're not like the Ninevites, violent towards us. That's not us. Well, then, then, then maybe we're probably more like the religious leaders that Jesus is talking to here. And we need to hear Jesus' message to these religious leaders. Don't harden your heart thinking that you have it all together. That you followed all the laws that God has given and all the laws that you've added to it. Don't think that you're okay just because you're religious. We need to ask God to help us to be not like the religious leaders, but like the Ninevites who recognize we are evil. We have done, we have done horrible things. God, come. The only thing that I can hope in is your mercy. And then the second application point would be this. God really judges sin. Okay? We worship a God who really judges sin. That's good news. Right? We actually believe that sinners deserve God's judgment. When we share the gospel with people, we don't shy away from that. We also share the good news that God is merciful to all who will believe and repent of their sin. This is pretty clear right here in this passage, but anytime we're looking at the Old Testament, we want to look at it from through, through the lens of the cross and the death and resurrection of Jesus because that makes things a lot more clear. And we need to ask ourselves this question. It's a good question to ask. Listen, how is it that God can still be a just God when He chooses not to judge those who have broken the law? 
who are guilty, who are disobedient, who are evil and sinful. How can God still be a good and just God if He doesn't punish evil? He doesn't punish sin. How, how can He do that? And the answer we know on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus is God can still be a just God because He poured out all of His judgment for our sin on His Son. That's how He can do it. So that all who would trust in Jesus and repent of their sin receive His righteousness as He takes their sin. Hebrews 2.17 says this, Therefore, He, Jesus, had to be made like His brothers in every respect. Why was Jesus? I mean, it's Christmas time, right? Why did Jesus come and take on human flesh? Here's what it says in Hebrews 2.17. He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of His people. Propitiation is someone making propitiation to someone bearing the wrath in the place of someone else. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why we needed Christmas to happen. That's why we needed Jesus to be born. That He might be just like us in every way. That He might be our representative, our substitute. Because God has to be just and God has to punish sin. And we are the sinners who deserve God's punishment. But we don't receive it because God has poured it out on His Son. So that all of us who trust in Jesus and repent of our sins don't bear the weight of our sins any longer, but it's been borne by the Son. That's the good news that we see in the book of Jonah. That's the good news that we remember every time we come together at the communion table. And so that's how we're going to end today. We'll sing uh, after this as well, but we're going to end by taking communion together.